Whose church is it? His church. It's not our church. It's not the Archbishop of Canterbury's church. It's not the Chief Baptist church. It's Jesus' church. But what exactly is this church and how do you become a member of it? Well, it's made up of all those who have surrendered their lives to follow Jesus. And to follow him so completely that we give him all of ourselves. To be, follow him in heart, head and will. But what actually do we mean when we say Jesus is head of the church? How does this work out practically? You know, day to day, where here we are living at St. Luke's, Hawkins, and we're trying to be good Christians. How do we live as head, with Jesus as head of the church? Well, five ways. The first one I want to look at, as the head, Jesus seeks to show the world what he is like through his body. That means that you and I are to be living expressions of the character and nature of Jesus. Because it's through us that Jesus expresses his character to the world. It's through his church that Jesus shows his life to all those outside. And one very powerful way we do this is the way we live our lives Every day during the week, how we treat others, how we relate to others, how gracious we are. But another way that's equally powerful and one we often forget is when we gather together to worship as his believers. Because when we worship, we are demonstrating our love of God. We are saying in our worship, as we sing hymns, we're not just singing songs. Our hearts should be saying, Jesus, I love you. You're the most precious thing to me. You see, worship is a very active part of our life. It's not just singing hymns. It's listening to his word. It's learning about God. Why do we want to learn about God? Because we love him and because we want to know him better. And one of the common ways we see in the New Testament about, and the way the meetings in the early church went is every member of the church is part of the ministry. And as each one of us brings ourselves to worship God, we are expressing and demonstrating the presence of God among us. 1 Corinthians 14.26 says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And 1 Peter 2.5 tells us, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, in our worship and our gathering together, we are meant to come together and share together. 
And that worship doesn't stop when the service finishes. It carries on round the coffee table when we share with one another the good things that God, that God has done for us. And when we share with others the good things that God has done for us, then we're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them. There's a lovely word in scripture, Emmanuel. It means God with us. And God is to be seen today in the world through the love and care that we show for each other. How do we treat each other? Do we come in, not talk to anybody? Do we make friends? Do we relate to one another? Because as we do, and as we show that care for one another, then we are demonstrating God with us, that he lives in us. And the second thing we learn about Jesus as head of the church, as head, Jesus continues his earthly ministry through his church. That's us, you and me. Jesus is no longer visibly present to the world. They can't come and see him, they can't come and hear him at Wembley Stadium or anywhere. The place they can find him and hear about him is in his church. And we need to demonstrate clearly to the world out there that Jesus is still present and he's still working in his people by his spirit. When Jesus sent into heaven, he chose to express himself through a body of believers, you and me. To continue, we are to continue his life and ministry on earth. What is this ministry? Well, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what we are to tell the world. That's what we are to show. That's what we're about. That's what the church is for. Years ago, I came across a poem by a lady called Annie Johnston Flint, who lived in about 1880 in America. It's a fantastic story. Annie came to know Jesus because of the way she was loved and cared for by a family of Baptists who lived nearby. Her mother had died at an early age and her father was having tremendous difficulty keeping and holding his family together. So this Baptist family drew alongside and they helped. And when the father died at a very early age, that family adopted the children. And Annie was brought up by that family. And it was the demonstration of their love for Jesus, expressed in their love for her, that brought her to Christ. And she wrote this poem. And it's so simple. Some people would even say it's corny. But I like a bit of corn now and then. Because it says what her heart should say. Let me read it to you. 
Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in the way. He has no tongue but our tongue to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. We are the only Bible the careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message given in word and deed. But what if the type is crooked? What if the print is blurred? What if our hands are busy with other work than his? What if our feet are walking where sin's allurement is? What if our tongue is speaking of things his lips would spurn? How can we hope to help him or welcome his return? I think they're really powerful words, those. And it says everything about how we, his church, are to live our lives in this world. And that's a work that we here at Hawkinge, that's, we're called to continue that today. And it may seem incredible, but we are. Jesus is saying to us at Hawkinge, and there's not that many of us, I want you to continue my work. And I will empower you to do it. And the next thing I want to look at is the third thing. As Jesus, head of the church, and this is something that's so difficult and took me years to grasp. But when I got it, I found it was absolutely marvellous. Jesus, as head of the church, directs both the church and the work we're to do. How? How does Jesus direct the work that we are supposed to do? Well, in my life, I've had, um, getting on a bit now, but I have been involved in the leadership of two churches, both of which I helped plant. And I've been um, a moderator of a Baptist church. And I've been involved in church leadership through quite a bit of my life. And very early on, I learnt one lesson. I could have great ideas on how to run the church. Let's do this. Let's do that. And years ago, I was involved in the planting of a church on the Isle of Sheppey called the Sheppey Christian Fellowship, which still exists and flourishes today, I'm pleased to say. We had come about because of a split in the local Baptist church. And a small group of us, there were just eight of us, met in our front room. And we used to praise the Lord and have our services in the front room. And then we gradually developed until we moved into the local community centre. And the church started to grow. And of course we got excited about this. We were young, we were going to change the world for God. We were going to go out there and do it, you know. We were going to be the influence that saved the entire Isle of Sheppey. And so we decided, what was the good thing? We're, I know, we'll have a mission. Let's go and do a mission. And what we decided we were going to do was to knock on all the doors around our community centre and share the gospel with people. We were going to do door-to-door -door outreach. So out we went and we knocked on the doors. Guess what? Nothing happened. Not one single person came to the church 
as a result. And we thought, we must be doing something wrong here. This is what we thought we were supposed to do. It should have been a good idea to go out on the knocker. That's the trouble. That was a good idea. It wasn't what God was saying to us. And so as a church, we prayed and said, Lord, what have we done wrong? Help. What should we be doing? And as we prayed as a church, we all felt the Lord was saying one thing to us, and it was a bit of a shock. And the one thing he said to us, but I didn't tell you to go and knock on those doors. Really? Isn't that what the Bible says? I didn't tell you to. You're not ready. And this took us aback. We didn't know quite how to react to that. But we realised that we needed to hear from the Lord before we ever attempted something like that again. About six months later, we were praying in our weekly prayer meeting. And several of the people said, you know, I feel the Lord is telling us to go out again. And we've got to go to a particular street. Really? So we did. And that's when the miracle started. And I say miracles because the first door um, that our folk knocked on, I had a chap in leadership with me called Paul, and his wife Anne went with another girl, and they knocked on this door, and the lady opened, she said, well, she said, um, it's all very interesting. She said, I know all about Jesus. I'm a Jehovah's Witness. Now, if you know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, one of the most difficult things it is, is to lead a Jehovah's Christ, Witness to Christ. But she said, come in, tell me. Tell me all about your church and Jesus. So they went in, they had a cup of tea, and they sat down. And Anne started to share her testimony and about Jesus. And she suddenly looked up, and this woman had tears streaming down her face. And she gave her life to Jesus that morning, became a member of the church. But that wasn't all. The next door we knocked on, another Jehovah's Witness. And then another. And then another. And I have never before or since heard of so many Jehovah's Witnesses that left the Witnesses and came to our church as a result. And that happened because we'd listened to Jesus. Because we'd gone to the head of the church and said, what are our instructions? What are we to do? And it was such a thrill to see that happen. And in fact, we had so many witnesses come to our church and leave the witness movement that it became quite a stink locally. Even made the local newspaper because the local head of the Watchtower movement was saying that we were an evil bunch going round. But that's what happens. When you trust Jesus and you do what he tells you, you are blessed. Years before that, I'd been in a Baptist church. A Baptist church had been a very through a difficult time and we'd lost the pastor because his wife had gone off with another woman. He was broken and he left the pastorship. And there were just two people then left to lead the church. That was the, an acting pastor and me. I was the church secretary. And we didn't know what to do. I was a very new Christian at the time. And we said, why not we'll do? We'll meet every week 
just the two of us, and we'll pray and we'll ask the Lord what we are to do. And we did. We met and we prayed. We asked the Lord what to do. And we went on for several weeks. Nothing happened. Then one morning we were praying together, both on our knees, and the Lord spoke to us both at the same time. And I can remember this because we both looked up and looked at the other one. Really? And Morris, who was the other guy, said to me, has the Lord spoken to you? Yes. What did he say? I said, you're not going to want to hear this. He said, well, what did he say? He said, we're to shut down every meeting that we've got in the church. He said, that's exactly what he said to me. That the only meetings we are to have in this church are meetings that effectively are to share the gospel and reach out to others. So when we shared that news with the church meeting, you can imagine that went down like a lead balloon. But we felt convinced this was what God had told us to do, so we shut down all the meetings. And when we shut down the meetings, we found out afterwards why. Our children's work had been, been, actually been run by a woman who was a Christian spiritualist. And we didn't know. But that was the breakthrough. Up until that time, we were a very small Baptist church with about 25 people. But by the end of that year, our church, um, this is no word of a lie, this is true, our church was filled to capacity. And we'd had our baptistry opened and baptisms of new Christians. But I could go on because even in my running of a Christian ministry, in my work, when I learned to listen to Jesus, things went well. When I did it my way and used my ideas, zilch, nothing. So that's how Jesus is head of the church today. He wants to be head of the church and he wants to be head of our lives. If we have decisions to make, look at all the pros and cons, but ask Jesus what you should do. Seek him first. Then you'll get the right answer. And it's the surest way to blessing that I know. Number four. As the head, Jesus nourishes his church. Ephesians 5.29 tells us, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just like Jesus also does the church. Christ, the head of the church, feeds and nourishes his body through the ministry of each of us, functioning as members Rob is our leader, but each one of us has gifts that we are to bring, to share. And if you withhold your gift, you're withholding something that we all need as a body. Every single one of us, even though we might not think we have, has a ministry gift. And most people, when they get to know you, will realise what your gift is before you do. And I used to wonder, what on earth is my gift? And my wife told me what it was one day. I hadn't got a clue. 
I thought it was something else, but she said, you know what you do? You, most of all, you're an encourager. And you think, well, is that important? Of course it's important. It's God's gift. We're here to encourage people, people who are down, and people who are do, uh, in many ways. What might your gift be? You see, Christ feeds his body through you and me. And that's why it's important that in the church we should open ourselves to one another. Not keep ourselves all locked up and tied in little bundles so we don't share anything with anybody. If you're hurting, share it with somebody. We are to look down on no one but value every single person as an equal part of Christ's body. Because that person you have been looking down on, I'm not saying you do, but you may, I did for years look down on a person, has the very gift you need to release you. And that's happened to me more than once. And last, as head, Jesus is the source of the church's life. How is Jesus the source of the church's life? Through his spirit to every member. There are no more important members in the church than others. There are pastors, there are leaders, there are evangelists. They all have the gift gifting, but you are just as important in Christ's eyes as any one of those. Nobody has a more special gift all our gifts are special, all our talents are special, and they're God-given. And you have been created for that very purpose, to deliver the gift that he has given you. Never ever think of Jesus as someone who's far away and remote and unavailable to you. That's a lie of the enemy. It's one of his most busy lies. He's, he tells that to all of us. Well, you can't really know Jesus. You can't sense him. You can't know him. That's a lie. Jesus is so close to you. He promises you from the moment that you are converted that he will live within you. And as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, no longer I, but Christ lives in me. And towards the end of his letter to the Romans, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. As believers, we move from simply believing in Jesus, from simply giving our lives to him. And this is important because... A lot of people don't get this. We are not simply to believe in Jesus. We are to follow him. We are to be obedient to him. Which makes it even more important that we seek his will for our lives. Because as you give your life to him, as you follow him, make him the Lord of your life, in charge of your life, the person you go to first,
you'll learn something that Paul knew. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And as followers of Jesus, we live by his indwelling spirit. How can you know more of this? How can you know what it is to be touched and to feel his presence with you? I'll tell you, and I don't tell you as an expert, I tell you as someone who struggles with this. It's through prayer. It's through taking the time every day to set a part of your life apart to spend with Jesus. And praying is not just about you giving him a shopping list of what you want or telling him about all your troubles. It's listening. It's nothing. Sometimes prayer is just silence. You see, it's when we were silent, when we stopped talking, that we heard Jesus telling us to close down everything in the church, to go to a particular street. It's a two-way communication. And I can't say that I'm an expert in this, but I can tell you there are times in my life when I have experienced the depth of knowing what it is to feel his presence in such a real way. Why is all this important? Why have I shared this with you this morning? Because I've been sharing with you something that's been on my heart for a long, long time. And I read an article this week by a pastor from Scotland. And he said this. Why is it important that we should give our lives more and more every day to Jesus? This is the reason. Jesus is one who came down to earth as a human being in order to recreate humanity in his, in his image, in knowledge, righteousness and holiness. No matter how much humanity seeks to destroy itself, and boy, haven't we seen our country trying to destroy itself lately, God is there to redeem, to restore and to save. We are being constructed into the new Jerusalem and do not need to go the destructive way of Babylon. And I pray that we may truly become a church living, working and praying and seeking always to be fed by Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. And do you know why this is so important? Because the stakes are so incredibly high. It is the salvation for eternity of brothers and sisters who do not know Christ. There is only one way to know God, and that is through Jesus Christ. There is only one way to salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's what I mean when I say the stakes are so incredibly high. Amen.